Father, it's, it's good for us to be here this morning as your people, as your family. Um, and Father, as we take up your word this morning, um, I'm just reminded um, the, the prophet Jeremiah talks about your word being like a fire burning within him. Um, and I guess I want to pray this morning that um, as we go into the week ahead, long after maybe we've forgotten uh, the words of my sermon, um, we want, I want to pray that your word would burn like a fire within us, that we would carry it into the week uh, like a fire, that it would be a fire that warms the cold parts of us, uh, that burns up uh, the parts of us that need to be stripped away and taken away, um, that awakens us, um, that fills us with passion and with uh, fresh commitment um, and fresh zeal and love uh, for you. Um, Father, I pray that your word uh, this morning and in the week ahead would be that fire that we need at the center of our hearts. Um, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so just a, maybe a little, a little reminder of where we are uh, on our journey through Ephesians. Um, hopefully this is working. Oh, my, I haven't had a clicker failure for a while. Um, I do seem to have, I am on and I've got battery. Um, does someone want to take that and play with it for a bit and see if, oh, do you move that on, Peter? That was you. All right, will I just give you a nod this morning? This is, uh, this doesn't seem to be working. Does somebody, do you want to take that? There you go. People who listen to this on the recorded audio love it whenever I talk about the clicker because it's, uh, uh, it's a very odd experience for them. So, um, just a, a little reminder, the, the first half of the book of Ephesians, uh, the big theme uh, that we, 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 we summarized kind of last week was this idea of us being God's new society, that we're to be this city on a hill, this household, this family, this community that displays to the world and to the angels the grace and wisdom of God. So that, that's the, the big theme of the first half of the book. Um, and then uh, as we move into the second half of the book, um, uh, next slide, Peter. Um, the, the, the big theme as we move into the second half is about our walk. Um, it's about what it means for us to walk worthy of our calling. Is that working now? Yes, excellent. Um, we, uh, the, the second half of the book is going to be much more uh, practical and applied and about how we live in our everyday lives and how do we live a life uh, I was about to say Monday to Friday, but Sunday to Saturday, all week, uh, that, um, that, that is in balance with, in equilibrium with, that amazing calling that we read about in the, the first half of the book. Um, and that's what we're going to be exploring uh, over the next, next few weeks. Um, I want to uh, maybe start, start with something silly. Um, some of you will have seen this, this little kind of joke that goes around uh, about the importance of punctuation. Um, um, so there's a huge difference between let's eat grandma and let's eat grandma. Um, and the, the little comma, the use of good punctuation, um, can make an enormous difference to grandma uh, in this situation. Um, and whenever we, we get a little bit further into our passage uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning, there, there's one particular point in this passage where uh, the, the presence or absence of a comma can make a huge difference. So you can watch out for that. We're gonna, it'll take a wee while to get to that point, uh, but we're going to get there later on. It can make a, bi- a big difference uh, to our lives. Um, let's read. We're going to pick up, uh, just overlapping a wee bit with what we read last week. Uh, we're going to read Ephesians 4, 
uh, reading from verse 7. And you can follow on the screen or, uh, or in, in your own Bible uh, or just, just listen. Paul writes this, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up and we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And that's where we're going we're gonna to stop uh, our reading for, uh, for this week. Um, and I, I want to begin uh, maybe just with three really quick points, um, just to sort of uh, pick up maybe what, what I think is the big theme of this uh, section. So three really, really quick points to get us started. Our goal in this passage is maturity. And you'll, you'll have noticed a couple of times as we went through um, talks in verse 13 about until we all reach unity uh, and become mature. And verse 15 will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body um, uh, of Christ um, so maturity is our, is our goal. Um, I don't know even whenever I say that, um, what kind of picture you have in your mind of maturity. Um, maybe sometimes when we think about being mature, uh, the, the image in our minds is a little bit dull and a, bit, a little bit serious. Um, being mature is about not having any fun or being very solemn uh, or something. Uh, and I hope we can kind of dispel that image of maturity. Because um, the second quick point is this, that our, our definition of maturity is Jesus. Um, So it talks in verse 13, it goes on after talking about maturity to talk about attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What what is our definition of what it means to be mature? It is Jesus himself. Um, And so you can think about the attributes of Jesus, the characteristics of Jesus, of his personality, of his character. What are the things you love about him? What are the things you admire about him? What are the things you you want to emulate about him? Uh, what are those things that draw you to his personality and character? Um, he is our model. He is our definition of maturity. Um, so our goal is maturity. Our definition is Jesus. And we pursue this goal of maturity in Jesus together. It's really clear when you, when you read this passage. Um, we're not talking here about maturity as just an individual characteristic that I want to become individually mature. Um, We're talking about us as the body of Christ becoming mature. 
um, becoming a mature community, becoming a mature family. Um, and even, even already as we say that, I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by this idea. We, we talk about becoming like Jesus. And often when we talk about becoming like Jesus, we're thinking about us as individuals, that I, I would love to be more like Jesus, you would love to be more like Jesus, and we're, we're being changed by the Spirit uh, in that direction. But here there's a, there's a different idea that kind of catches my attention, that we as a community reflect the image and the character of Jesus. That actually as people look at our life together, they see that it looks a bit like Jesus. And I, and I kind of love that idea. There's something maybe even a wee bit liberating there that goes, well, maybe if you're, you're better than me at reflecting his compassion, and maybe there's someone over here who's better at reflecting his courage, and here's somebody who's better at reflecting his, um, his mercy and his kindness uh, and whatever else. But I love that idea that together, we as a body reflect the image of Jesus, who is our definition and our model of maturity. Okay, so that's just a, a kind of setting the scene for where we're going. And really, for the rest of the time, um, I want to think. Uh, I want to think about two things. I want to think about what prevents us from becoming mature and growing into the image of Jesus, and what helps us. So we'll we'll do the the obstacles first, and then we'll do the positive. What is it that helps us uh, to grow? Um, so what is it uh, in this passage that keeps us from growing up? That keeps us uh, childish? That keeps us like infants, um, uh, like babies? Um, in our in our walk and in our faith. Um, what does Paul say? Verse 14. He says, we can be blown off course um, by every wind of teaching. Um, that's what can, in this, in this passage, what can keep us, I'm sure there's lots of things that can stop us from growing, but this is Paul's concern here. He talks about the waves and he talks about the wind, but he's talking about um, I, c- I couldn't really do a picture of the wind because you can't see the wind, so here's a big wave. Um, we, we, as we're trying to walk this path towards maturity and wholeness in Christ, we can get blown off course by waves and by wind. And Paul is thinking primarily about teaching. Uh, there are voices that are going to come at us that claim to be wise, but will actually prevent us from growing up into the character of Jesus. So that's a pretty stern warning. Um, and maybe I want to I'm going to spend a wee bit of time on this. It's only, it's only sort of one verse in this passage, but I want to spend a little bit of time on it and maybe to explain why. Um, I, I guess my observation would be that this is a particular challenge in our time in a way that it's never been before. Um, and the reason for that is technology and the, the invention of the internet. Um, it used to be you sometimes would have had to travel quite far to go and look for uh, Bad teaching. Sometimes it would come to where you were, but sometimes you might have had to travel to another village or another town or whatever. But the the marvel of the internet is that you can sit in your bedroom and you can access teaching from every corner of the world. Um, And that can be a great gift. And lots of you know that. That can be a wonderful gift. But I think it makes this danger of being susceptible to every wind of teaching is especially an issue for us in our generation. How do we know which voices to listen to? How do we know which ones will lead us towards maturity in Christ? Um, what, one of the reasons why I think technology and the internet is especially dangerous here is well, how, whenever Jesus is helping us watch out for 
false teachers and wolves and so on. What, what does he tell us to watch out for? He says, you will know them by their fruit. Right? What does that mean? It means you'll know them by their life, by their walk, by their character, by the way that they relate and live. And what's the big problem with the, the internet is that it's disembodied. Right? You have a voice and you have teaching, but you have no access to that person's life. So you have no idea what kind of character they have. You have no idea. They could have destroyed every relationship in their life. They could have broken apart and split every church they've been part of. And yet they can set up a lovely website and you would, you would never know. You have no access to know what kind of person is this. You have just the teaching uh, as a disembodied uh, voice. Um, so that's why I think this is worth spending a wee bit of time on. Uh, in our generation, we need help to know how can we be discerning of which voices uh, to listen to. Um, in, 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 in Ephesians, in the, the verses that I read, um, Paul doesn't tell us what kind of teaching he has in mind. He just says um, we need to watch out for every wind of teaching that will blow us off course. Um, and so I hope it's okay. We're going we're gonna to jump out of Ephesians for a little moment because there are other parts of the New Testament that give us a lot more detail on the kind of teaching that sometimes caused problems in the early church. And I think thinking about that for a few minutes can help us um, uh, to look out for maybe similar teaching today. So I hope that's okay. We're going we're gonna to jump out of Ephesians and then we'll come back in uh, to Ephesians in a moment. Um, but I want to I just name a few of the kinds of dangerous teaching that were a problem in the early church that unsettled the early church. Okay, so here's one of them. And you're going to get one of JM's great diagrams here, um, gradually built up. So you can get teaching that denies basic gospel truths, right? So an example of this would be in 1 John. Um, it talks about those who deny that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Um, or it talks later on in 1 John about those who deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, right? So that's pretty, that, that's what we would call like big headline gospel heresy, right? People, there, and, and as we read the New Testament, you get little glimpses of this. There were people who denied that Jesus was really human. There were people who denied that Jesus was really divine. There were people who denied that he was the Messiah. There were people who denied that he had risen bodily from the dead. Um, and within the church, those voices were present. So you can get teaching that denies some of the basics of the gospel, the things that we maybe sometimes remind ourselves of in the creeds of the church um, uh, about who Jesus is and why is he's come. Um, and that's worth flagging up um, this morning. Um, there will still be sometimes teachers today um, who call themselves Christian but have so watered down the miraculous and supernatural content of the gospel and so deconstructed and questioned and reinterpreted everything that there's actually nothing really left to believe in. That's the bottom line. Um, we may as well pack up and go home. Um, if Jesus is just a wise teacher with a few interesting ideas, if he's not the Christ, then there is no Christianity and there are no Christians, right? So if people are denying the basics of the gospel, um, the, whole, the whole thing falls apart. Um, as Paul says, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, then our faith is futile and we are of all pe people to be the most pitied, right? We may as well all go and become good secular humanists because the whole thing becomes a farce. So it, it's important that we flag that up. There can be teaching, 
even under the label of Christian sometimes, that denies the basics of the gospel. Um, A second kind of teaching is this. You can get teaching that disobeys um, or encourages people to disobey clear biblical commands. Um, So again, an example here would be in 1 Corinthians. uh, We get a little glimpse of one kind of false teaching. Um, And you have to read a little bit different parts of 1 Corinthians to get a picture of this. Um, It seems that what people were teaching was that what matters is your soul. Um, The spiritual is what matters and your body doesn't really matter. And therefore, you're free to do whatever you want with your body. Um, you can, in terms of food and drink and sex and whatever, do whatever you want with your body because it's only your soul that matters in your spiritual walk. So can you see there, there is a teaching that is um, not maybe denying uh, things at the center of the gospel about Jesus, but is encouraging people to blatantly disobey um, commands that we've been given in both Old and New Testament about how to live as God's holy people. Um, Paul, of course, in 1 Corinthians, responds really bluntly and says, your body belongs to God. Your body is holy. Um, and so, again, we need to be really aware this is still going to be maybe a danger today. Um, maybe, maybe we could put it this way. There, there are things in the Bible that are difficult to understand, and we need to have humility to sometimes say this is not black and white and acknowledge that there may be more than one possible interpretation in some places. Um, But there are also in the Bible commands about holy living that are simple and clear. Uh, And there is a kind of teaching that will try to muddy the water and say, is that really as clear as it appears to be? Um, And really it's not, uh, we haven't come an awful long way from the garden. Do you remember what the snake said in the ear of the man and the woman? Did God really say? Right? And so I always think we've got to be careful not to pretend things are simple when they're complex, but we've also got to be careful not to pretend things are complex when they're simple and clear. And there are things that are there that just need to be obeyed. And when there's teaching that muddies the water, we need to be really vigilant. Okay, so there, there's a couple of examples of the kinds of teaching that can blow us off course. Um, but now I want to I maybe wake us all up a little bit because when I was growing up, um, when people talked about false teaching, um, those were the two kinds that they usually meant. Um, and and as, as I've said, I want to underline them and say we need to, in every generation, be vigilant about those, denying gospel truth, promoting immorality and sinful behavior, right? Um, and hopefully this will make sense to you. I'm going to call those wins from the left, right? They come from the part of the church that used to be called liberal and sometimes today is called progressive but they come from that side of the church. And when I was growing up, um, when people talked about false teaching, that's all they seemed to mean, right? I want to suggest this morning, there's all, there are also winds that can blow us off course that come from the right uh, that we also need to be vigilant about. And I want to mention two of those. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that image kind of makes sense to you. You can get blown off course uh, from either direction. And one of them is what we might call rule-keeping religion or legalism. Um, I, I'm always struck by this. The, the strongest words that Paul speaks about false teaching in any of his letters come in the book of Galatians, right? Do you remember Paul in Galatians saying, if anybody teaches a gospel other than the one I've, I've given to you, even if it's an angel from heaven, let them be anathema, right? It doesn't get any stronger than that, right? 
At the end of the letter, he says, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. So he gets pretty, he gets pretty feisty about this. Who is Paul talking about in that letter? What kind of heresy had provoked that kind of response? And I'm always struck by this. They were people who were extremely conservative and traditional, who believed in holiness and believed in the Bible and agreed that Jesus is a Messiah and the Son of God, but they didn't believe that faith in Jesus is enough. And so they also wanted every Christian to follow the Jewish law of circumcision and the food laws and the Sabbath and the festivals and all the rest. And Paul's language is extraordinarily strong. He says, you're spying on the freedom of your brothers and sisters in Christ and trying to make them slaves again. Right? Unbelievably strong. And it's not a wind from the left, it's a wind from the right, from people who are extremely traditional, um, are not trying to deny the basics of the gospel or promote immorality, but are adding to the gospel and stealing people's freedom. Legalism seeks to add to the gospel so we don't trust in Jesus, but in rules. Um, And it robs people of freedom and it robs people of joy in their walk with Jesus. And it comes from people who believe in good doctrine and good morals. And it will stop you becoming mature in Jesus. It will stop you from flourishing and becoming like Jesus in your walk. It will blow you off course. Um, So maybe that comes as a bit of a surprise. Um, And the fourth kind of dangerous teaching that I want to mention um, is what, what I maybe for, for handiness, call doctrinal rabbit holes. Um, and a good place to go to look for this is in First Timothy, where Paul uses a whole bunch of uh, wonderful phrases, very vivid phrases, and he talks about people who are devoted to myths and endless genealogies and controversial speculations and meaningless talk and who have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. Right? Does that kind of paint the picture? Um, and we don't know for sure what the teaching was that, that he was addressing in First, First Timothy. But the sense we get is these were people who really liked to have big conversations about theology. Um, but the talk doesn't lead anywhere good. It doesn't lead to people growing in faith. It doesn't lead to them growing in love. It doesn't lead to them becoming like Jesus. It's just a doctrinal rabbit hole of endless discussion and controversy and speculation. And Paul says it actually causes envy and strife and malicious talk and constant friction. That's the fruit uh, that comes out of it. Um, And so I'm hoping that, does that make a little bit of sense? That I think we need to be on our guard both about wins from the left and wins from the right. Um, And if I can say something that uh, may annoy everybody, (laughs) Um, sometimes I like to just upset everybody in the room, Um, if you're someone who is always watching for wins from the left, you're leaving yourself really open to the wins from the right. And let me say it the other way around as well. If you're always watching out for wins from the fundamentalist right that are going to lead you off course, you're leaving yourself wide open to wins from the left. And sometimes we have this really bad habit as Christians of we, we, we focus more on the things that are a danger for other people than the things that are actually a danger for ourselves. And so I want to encourage you this morning to maybe be honest with yourself. Which one, which one are you making a big noise about and passionate about and talking about all the time? Because it may be that the wind from the other side is the one that's a bigger danger for you.
Sorry, I've annoyed you all. Um, can, can I give you a definition of sound teaching? People talk a lot in Northern Ireland about sound teaching. Um, the word sound just means healthy. Um, and sound teaching helps us grow up in Jesus. Right? Can I, can I say that again? Sound teaching will help us grow up in Jesus. It will make us whole. It will make us well. It will make us mature. It will cause us to grow and flourish and bear good fruit. It will help you keep your eyes on Jesus. It will help you trust him more, obey him more, love him more, grow up in him. That's what it does. And any teaching that blows you off from that, whatever side it comes from, whatever label it it wears, is dangerous teaching because it stops us from from flourishing um, in Jesus. Um, I'm, I'm going to risk um, trying one of JM's awkward, awkward analogies here. Okay, you ready for a... Um, this, this is kind of a little metaphor picture that came to mind about this that may help some of you. So imagine, imagine for a moment someone who runs a football coaching school for kids. Um, right? And if you're running a, a football coaching uh, school for kids, what is your job? Your job is to help the kids get better at football, Right? become a better team, play better, play more effectively, and enjoy their football and be encouraged and all the rest as they go. I want you to imagine um, a coach who, who, who says to the kids, you know, all these rules we have uh, about how to play football are really very restrictive. So we're going to redefine the game a little bit. So let's play with our hands as well as our feet. And like, Who says you can only have one ball on the pitch? Let's have more than one ball on the pitch. Um, and let's get rid of these lines around the edge of the pitch. They're very restrictive and kind of hem us in, um, and so on and so on. And pretty soon, you've got nothing left that resembles the game of football, right? And also, by the way, nobody's having any fun um, at all because <laughs> uh, it's complete chaos and complete shambles. Um, that, that's a little picture maybe of the wind from the left that so redefines the basics that there's no game left, um, the game is gone. Uh, what would it look like, the wind from the right? I want you to imagine a coach who gets obsessed with the offside rule. Now, the offside rule is an important part of the game, right? You have to have the offside rule to play football, and you have to kind of try and understand it. Um, but imagine a coach who becomes just fixated and obsessed on the offside rule and talks about nothing else. And every week, whenever he has the kids in, he sits them down and lectures them about the offside rule and shows them videos about people who have got the offside rule wrong and rants and raves about those who don't understand the offside rule. Um, And all the time that he's doing that, what's he not doing? He's not teaching the kids to play football. He's not teaching them any skills. Um, And so what's the end result is the kids have no idea how to play, right? That's the wind from the right. Everything that coach says may be true, but he is totally failing in his job of helping the kids grow up as footballers. Right? And so maybe, maybe that helps you a little bit. Um, what's the game for us? The game is Jesus. <laughs> it's all about following Jesus, becoming like Jesus, trusting Jesus, growing up in Jesus. And anything that helps you play the game is good teaching and anything that distracts you from it, whichever side it comes from. Um, is teaching we need to watch out for. So I hope that might, that might help some of us. Um, let's come back to Ephesians, because we've, we've spent a long time uh, on that. Uh, let me ask, uh, if, that, if that is what prevents us from growing up in Jesus, um, what is it that will help us grow up and become mature? Um, uh, and I, again, I want to suggest Paul gives us quite a simple answer. 
uh, in this passage. There's, there's a lot of rich teaching here, but I, but I think at its heart, there's something very simple. Um, we grow up as the body of Christ when each person plays their part. Those are the last words we read at the end of the, the passage, as each part does its work, uh, where we could say as each person plays their part. Um, let's, let, me, let me show you why I think that's kind of the heart of this passage. Um, let's go back and just explore the passage um, just a little bit more slowly, just for a few minutes. Um, at the beginning uh, of the passage, we read about how Jesus has given gifts to his people. Um, and we read about how those gifts have not just been given to a few people, to a few talented people in the church, but to each of us, grace has been given. Okay, So let's, let's personalize that and say, you have been given grace. You have been given gifts. Okay, uh, Jesus has given gifts to his people, to his church, and he's given it to, to all of us. Um, and then Paul names five particular gifts that have been given to the church. And he says, Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Um, I'm actually not going to talk much about them this morning. Um, but, but he says they have been given as a gift to the church. Um, but now comes the moment when punctuation really matters. Are you ready for this? Where a comma can make a huge difference. Because um, I want to show you how some of the older translations translated the next bit. So Jesus has given gifts to everybody. He's given these five kind of uh, leadership roles uh, that are maybe more prominent leadership roles within the church. Um, why has he done that? Or what, what comes out of that? Here's how some of the, the older translations had it. For the perfecting of the saints, for the works of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay, so three things that need to be done. Perfecting the saints, works of ministry, edifying the body of Christ. Who does those three things? The way, the way that's written, who does those three things is those five people, right? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are given for doing these three things. So the, the perfecting of the saints gets done by gifted leaders. The works of ministry gets done by those upfront gifted leaders, the edifying of the body of Christ gets done by them. So I want to suggest here that the old-fashioned language is not a problem here. But you know what the problem is? is? See that little comma there? That little comma has caused tremendous mischief because it has caused people to have a view of the church that says a few gifted leaders will do the work and the health of the body depends on those few gifted leaders. Um, can, I, can I show you how I think it should read. Um, and I, thankfully, most of our newer translations have gone this direction. The, the five, those five are given, why are they given? To equip his people for works of service. No comma between those two, two clauses. So that the body of Christ may be built up. I wonder, I wonder, can you see why that's radically different to what we read before? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are given to the church in order to equip who? All of God's people for works of service. So who does the works of service? All of us. Um, every one of us together. Um, I, forgot, I've, I got carried away there and I've lost entirely where I was. Um, um, who does the works of service? All of God's people. And it's only when all of God's people do the work that the body gets built up and becomes mature. Um, the five 
sort of upfront leaders that, that are listed have a vital role to play, but their job is to equip and to train and to release so all God's people can find the confidence to serve and to look for the work that God has prepared in advance for them to do, as we read earlier on in Ephesians, and to do it gladly. But the works of service that are the key to the health of the church get done by every single one of us together. Um, I quite like the, the older translations um, call them works of ministry. Uh, the newer translations tend to call them works of service. And I, I kind of like holding both of them together because uh, I think works of ministry reminds us, kind of gives dignity to the work. Um, and, and it kind of reminds us that you know, like ministry is a word we really respect, isn't it? That we say about someone, that person's in ministry. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a word that has kind of that kind of spiritual weight. Um, and it reminds us the ministry is not just for a few gifted people, it's for everybody. So if we, were to, if we were to put up a sign in the car park that tells you who is the minister of Mount Sandal Christian Fellowship, it would have to be an enormous sign because we would have to put every single one of our names. Who are the ministers of this church? All of us. Ministry is for you. Ministry is for all of us. Um, but I also like works of service because... It reminds us that Jesus has called us all to be servants. And it maybe guards us from, some of us would like to be doing glamorous ministry or a ministry that gets us on a platform or ministry that gets us, puts us in the limelight. And it reminds us that we're called to wash each other's feet. And that a lot of the work of ministry that needs to go on in the church is humble and unseen and, um, uh, and, and uh, it's about getting our hands dirty. Um, and so I want to just ask you a very simple question, which is, or it's not a question, it's an, an encouragement. Um, I want to encourage you to look for the work that is yours to do in the life of the church. Look for the work that is yours to do. It's not all for you to do. Um, this is not about burning ourselves out, uh, trying to do everything, or running around like a headless chicken, um, trying to prove that we're, um, we're serious about, about doing this. Um, it's not about working for God as slaves. It's about working with God as his children, right? And that feels a lot different. Um, but I want to encourage you, he has given you grace gifts so that you can do good work. He has given you as a gift to the church um, so that the church can be blessed through you. Um, and I want to encourage you, look for the work that is yours to do. And it might be upfront work or it might be behind the scenes work. It might be in an official role or team or capacity, or it might be really informal and ad hoc as you go about your life. Um, it might be doing prayer ministry or leading worship, or it might be setting out chairs or making coffee. It might be visiting people in their homes or phoning someone you know is having a hard time. Uh, it might be doing something practical with your hands to help someone uh, who, who you know needs that help. It might be baking for somebody who you know just needs someone to bless them with a gift of good food, right? There's, there's a thousand ways in which uh, the work of ministry, the work of service goes on in the life of the church. Um, and maybe, uh, maybe it's a good time uh, for us in MCF just to, to be reminded of that. Um, as the church has been growing and there are uh, lots of new people, um, if I can maybe uh, put it this way, maybe some of us who are new might be thinking, you know, I'm I'm new. I'm just going to be part of the part of the audience, and enjoy the enjoy the the show. Um, and maybe uh, I want to encourage you as time goes on, and you find your feet in the family and feel part of the family, um, that you have a part to play um, to serve your brothers and sisters, and your healing will come 
as you're part of uh, serving in the church and your wholeness will come uh, as you do that. Uh, Maybe equally some people who've been in MCF for years and years and years are thinking this is brilliant, there's loads of new people, now I can sit in the back seat and do nothing uh, because I've I've done a lot over the years. And again, I want to encourage you, um, there's a part that for you to play, the body becomes mature as everybody plays their part. Um, Maybe some of us are tempted to think, well, let uh, John Mark or Ryan or the staff or the leaders of the church do the work. Um, and again, we just Paul, Paul's teaching is so helpful. The body becomes healthy as every part does its work, from the youngest to the oldest, from the new Christian to the uh, person who's been following Jesus for 50 years, the person who's just come in the door, the person who's been here all their life. Um, every single one of us has some part to play. And I want to encourage you, look for the work that is yours to do. I forgot I'd... I, I put this image up just as an example because I want to remind us it doesn't have to be upfront spiritual work as we sometimes call it. It might be um, just keeping your ears open for someone who could do with uh, you baking for them something that would bless them and just let them know that they're not forgotten uh, and that they're loved. Um, our, our health depends on all of us uh, playing our part. Here's where I want to finish. Um, I want I couldn't really figure out how to fit this in the sermon, but I couldn't finish without mentioning this phrase because I find it so challenging. Um, For all of us, no matter what part we're playing in the church, Paul says we are to speak the truth in love. Uh, And I want to just tell you why I find this really helpful and challenging. um, Is I I find sometimes this phrase gets a little bit abused. Um, So sometimes we seem to take it to mean we can say whatever we want, as long as we add on the end, I'm saying it in love, right? So we take it to mean we can be as arrogant and harsh and critical and pushy and whatever and disrespectful as we want to be, as long as we say at the end, I mean it in love, right? Um, wh- why is that most definitely not what Paul means? Well, one, one reason is this. I, I was quite startled to discover this, that actually the word speaking doesn't occur uh, in, the, in the Greek text of, of that passage, that actually... What Paul says is this, truthing in love. <laughs> he makes a verb out of the word truth. Um, and why, why does that matter? Because to, to truth in love means to live the truth, to, to practice the truth, to embody the truth, to let the gospel be evident in all of your actions and all of your words. And so actually it includes speaking the truth in love. It also includes sometimes shutting up in love. And listening in love, right? That's also part of truthing in love. Um, And it also sometimes includes washing feet in love and baking bread in love and preaching the gospel in love and stacking chairs in love and visiting someone who's sick or lonely in love and leading worship and fixing someone's leaky shower and doing all of those things in love, right? All of that's included. So it includes speaking the truth and it also includes living the truth um, in all of those kind of ways, Um, There's a thousand small acts of kindness and love by which the body of Christ gets built up. Um, And my big encouragement for you is go look for the ones that are yours to do. Isn't it a huge privilege to get to be involved in those those acts of love by which the body of Christ um, is edified and nourished and built up and becomes healthy and starts to reflect the beauty of Jesus uh, to the surrounding world. Um, Look for the work that is yours to do. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, don't hold back Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him 
is a waste of time and effort. Throw yourself into the work of the Master because it's never wasted uh, what we do for him and with him. Um, Let's pray uh, as we finish this morning. Um, Let me encourage you, um, if God's speaking to you this morning, if there's anything going on in your life uh, that you'd appreciate prayer for, there'd be a couple of people up here uh, who would love to pray with you uh, just before you go. Um, Let's pray and then we're going to sing together. Um, Father, thank you so much that in your great love for us, you are totally committed to helping us become healthy and whole, uh, to help helping us grow up and flourish and become like Jesus. Um, Father, I want to pray this morning, uh, would you not allow any uh, voices from the left or the right or from any direction to distract us from keeping our eyes on Jesus, from growing up in him, from trusting him, obeying him, following him, serving him, becoming more like him. Um, Father, I pray for our church here in Mount Sandal. Um, Would you help us day by day to grow in the likeness of Jesus? Um, And Father, I want to pray you'd help each of us to find our part in helping the body to grow. Um, Help us to find the work that is ours to do. Help us to put our hand to the things that are ours to do and to do it gladly and to do it wholeheartedly, knowing that it's never wasted. Um, Father, I want to pray every person in this room would know that they have been given grace gifts to bless the church, that they themselves are a gift from you to this church. Um, Father, help us to play our part uh, in the days ahead. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.